podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the late-breaking Formula One podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. Um, I mean, what a show we had last week. Just wanted to comment on that first of all. Karun Chandok on the show, so please, if you haven't checked that one out, go back and do. But um, yeah, great to have Karun on the show. Guys, how are you doing? How, how did you think it went? I loved it, mate. That was honestly... What a moment to be sat there and when Karun Shandok turns around and agrees with the point you've made. Absolute scene. I'm a moron, so proven <laughs> yes. otherwise. Proven otherwise by a an actual source. So yes, um, unfortunate that that had to happen that someone agreed with Sam, but you know, occasionally a squirrel finds a nut. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, we've got plenty to discuss tonight Um, we're going to be looking at good old reverse grids for qualifying Oh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen Mercedes look like they're going to stick their massive veto where it doesn't belong Um, but we're going to discuss it anyway we're going to discuss it anyway Um, we're also going to be discussing um, whether the coronavirus and a positive case could have a negative impact on the sport Um, seems as if, according to Chase Carey himself, that it would go ahead even if a driver contracted the virus. So uh, we're going to be discussing whether we think that is a good approach. Um, But first of all, something that's very topical, um, something that's only really come up in the last week, um, and this is the first podcast that we've done um, since the death of George Floyd. And um, it's an incident that's obviously sparked massive protests across major cities in the United States. and I think you know, I speak on behalf of all of us when, when I say we stand together against racism and this incident is just another stark reminder that as a human race, we still have a long way to go in this fight. Um, and as well as this having a massive global impact and it's a massive global story, um, there is an F1 connection, of course. Um, Lewis Hamilton, the only black person in Formula One history, um, putting out an Instagram post the other day, um, basically questioning why other members of the F1 community had not got more involved uh, and not had not spoken out on this. Um, and following this message, countless drivers came out uh, with, with their various messages. Sam, what did you think about this? I mean, Lewis Hamilton, the influence that he has was on full display. So I'm going to start this by saying that as three white individuals... We have, we are just discussing an event that has occurred. We obviously have no say in what goes on. We have no experience in the treatment that yeah. minorities in whatever country have experienced. Um, and we can't ever adhere to that. But we are just going to try and talk about the events that have happened in the sport that we love. And yeah, Lewis Hamilton, he stood up and stood proud, didn't he? He, he did himself, I think, completely proud. He did you know, what he called his people proud. There is a horrid atrocity going on in the United States. And the world has joined with with the black people of America to make sure that they they know that they you know what in the eyes of a lot of bloody people in this planet they are equal they deserve every equal right they deserve every equal opportunity and every equal treatment should be given to them as a unfortunate amount of people in power in that country and our own and other countries 
that disagree with that statement. And in the world of Formula One, in the world of sporting, where which is so significant across the entire globe, you know, Lewis Hamilton is a real minority in that. He is pretty much the only black F1 driver we've ever had, let alone, you know, in current motorsport now. He's really up there. And it's hilarious the way that he came out there and he took himself proud. And so many individuals in Formula One almost criticised him for not seeing their efforts. If, if you have made an effort, ladies and gentlemen, it would have been seen. Um, I'm not going to name names, but there were a few people who are very high profile who immediately criticised Lewis Hamilton for going through something that they can literally never understand. They can never put into words. They can never put into emotions. They will never deal with because they are white in a Western world, which is white dominant. And I thought it was absolutely jaw-dropping the way that no one had said anything socially at all. It was almost shameful until Lewis Hamilton comes out and says, I see you. You're not good enough. I'm upset with you. And then it's almost a little bit guilt-ridden. I don't know. But, you know, Charles Leclerc comes out. And to be fair to Charles Leclerc, he gives a real honest explanation. You know, he said, I've come into Formula One. I'm young. I feel like I, I can't voice my opinions because I don't want to mess things up for myself. And that's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. So from now on, I'm going to say how I truly feel. And he went out there and he said it multiple times. Fair play to him. He shared loads of stuff. He's written a lot of true comments and he's supporting people. And the same goes for the likes of Lando Norris as well. I've seen them go out and say stuff. Teams have also all come out and said things as well. And the impact that Hamilton, a six-time world champion and leading figure in the Western world of sport, has only made two social media posts, and this is the result. It shows how influential he really is. And I'm so glad we have him in the sport because it makes me proud now to be part of this sport that someone of his stature is willing to stand up. You know what? It's influences like this outside of Formula One and within Formula One that make him an all-time legend, an all-time great that you will never not remember. He's done exactly the right thing. He phrased things brilliantly. He, he stood tall when he needed to. He's done exactly what a world champion's done. And I, I, I am proud that he's a world champion. And he's from the UK. It's wonderful to see. And it's nice to see that our industry, which is predominantly white, is very wealthy, is maybe starting to do the right thing. So it's a horrible thing that's going on. But thank God Lewis Hamilton's in the sport because it's finally starting to look a little brighter in what is an awful, awful set of occasions. Yeah, um, Harry, what what did you make of this? Of course, you know Lewis Hamilton, the influence that he has. It, like I said earlier, it really was on full display, and the the impact of the amount of drivers that sort of took some form of action after that. Uh, I think it speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I can't remember which journalist put, said this. It may have been Nate Saunders, but apologies if it wasn't you, Nate. It was someone else. Um, but uh, he made the he said that. The GOAT debate over Hamilton in F1 will probably rage on for some time or perhaps even forever, but his his legacy in F1 is going to, going to extend far beyond whether he's the greatest driver of all time. Um, it's going to extend to leading real diverse, uh, diversity change within F1 because I think that's the, the, new, the legacy he can leave within the sport because it's a sport dominated by white males predominantly. Um, not to say that there aren't women and people of colour working within it, but for the most part, it's it's a white male sport. So, um, yeah, Hamilton is realisingly uh, realising increasingly over the past few years that 
his status as a as a six time or multiple world champion um and the platform he has to 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 use is can be used for a force for good and to have that influence is is so important within within not just the world of sport just the world in general he's a global megastar so um yeah it's 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 what you you'd now expect of hamilton and it's really good to see and he he is like vettel he's like an, the elder statesman of f1 he's not a young boy anymore so um it's really great to see that he's he's come out and come out and said this um and and props to him because unlike some people i read a luke smith article from autosport and it said that people telling f1 drivers that they should stick to racing are in missing the point entirely which is absolutely right because these drivers are, are really famous and they have a they have a voice within as I said, within the world, so they should use it. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the stick to your sport or your profession argument is one that I'm personally very tired of. Um, just in uh, just in general, I think it's a lazy argument, and there's there's no reason why um, you have to quote stay in your lane. You know, you can you can voice out and have an have an impact on, on issues like this, just as Lewis Hamilton has done, and I. I agree with what you said, Sam, in that I am proud that Lewis Hamilton is part of the sport and he's kind of leading the drivers in a, in a way. And, um, you know, F1 has recently, very recently done a poll and we discussed it a few weeks back on who the most influential person in Formula One history is. Um, and in terms of the drivers in that bracket, it was Jackie Stewart who was the number one seed. Um, if you look at world championships, if you look at wins, if you look at things like that, Jackie Stewart doesn't rank first in any of them, despite being an incredible driver. Um, so why was he listed as the most influential driver by the people putting together the bracket? It's because of his influence beyond driving itself. Um, in his form, that's safety. Um, and I think it's very much the same for Lewis Hamilton in that he will be remembered for a lot of accolades in Formula One. Rightly so. He'll be remembered for six or however many world championships he goes on to win. He'll be remembered for his incredible qualifying performances. Um, but his influence uh, will, I I personally believe, I think his influence will go much further than that. Um, and yeah, I, I was very proud of what Lewis Hamilton was able to achieve um, and completely stand by him. So so well done to well done to him. Nice one. So, moving on um, from that, we're going to be talking now about reverse grids uh, in qualifying, at least. Uh, this idea has been floated around over the last week or two, um, and it would take place in the 2020 season. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like Mercedes um, are, are not going to comply, and potentially another team as well. Um, and they would need 10 of 10 teams to say yes to this for it to go ahead. Um, in, in terms of reverse grid qualifying, Sam, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it should happen? Oh, it's a debate for the ages, isn't it? The amount of times that we've seen um, this conversation possibly come up. I don't love the way that they that Formula One were trying to bring it in this time around. I absolutely love the format that Formula Two have. I genuinely think that that is a really fun, interesting, yet still rewarding format for um, for the drivers and for the teams. You know, you come first, you start eighth. You, if you finish eighth, you start first. 
I, I really enjoy that format. Reverse grids. They, they, the way they've explained it seems confusing. They don't seem particularly clear themselves on how they portray it to the audience. A lot of people on social media are getting a little bit confused as to how it would work. Um, and let's just spell it out here because I may be getting it wrong. The short race, the sprint race, is then the qualifying, the finish, is then the qualifying in reverse for the main race? Uh, so, so it's the sprint qualifying yeah, race, isn't it? Where they start yeah. in reverse championship order and the result of that race decides the starting grid for the Sunday race. Yeah, yeah so I, I can see issues, right? Qualifying works. We've said this time and time again. Qualifying is exciting. And it's not Mercedes' fault. It's not Red Bull's fault. It's not Racing Point's fault that the cars aren't equal. That's that's how the, the regulations are made, and that's the budgets at the moment. And we hopefully will see a, a shift of that in 2022 when the aerodynamics and drag change and the tyres come in that are different and the budget is brought down. We should see a much closer grid, hopefully. But, yeah, I mean, nine cars turned up, realising that they can have a better chance of winning, and uh, they all brought a car to a car fight, and Mercedes brought a massive veto to their car fight. And um, they kind of looked everyone else in the eye and went, ha, we've got you here, lads. And honestly, that's the bit I'm more annoyed at. I'm more annoyed that in a global sport, a team has such a such an ability to shift where the rules go to. I don't know if that is similar in a single sport around the world. If, if a governing body wants to change a rule, they get a vote within the governing body and they change the rule. You wouldn't ask Man United if... Um, they suddenly had to pay nine out of their 11 players only 10 grand a week, and they had to choose which ones to keep above that. They go, no, thank you. And then that wouldn't happen. So why are they doing the same in Formula One? This needs to stop. This, this rule base needs to stop. And that's what I'm more frustrating about. If, you know, Liberty wanted to change the rules and have a different qualifying session for this odd season that we're going to have, who am I to say no or yes? That should be their choice. And if it makes exciting racing, which I'm not yet to see... So I can't tell if it's exciting or not. Let it happen. We had the stupid elimination qualifying. That was a much worse idea, and that went ahead. So give it a crack for all I care. If it's fun, then bloody brilliant. If it's not, never do it again. That's all I can say on the matter. I'm always up for experimentation. If it works, if it doesn't. But then again, we're qualifying. Don't try to fix something that isn't broken. But elimination qualifying was great. I will eliminate you from late breaking in a minute. Not quite sure. I love to see drivers not setting lap times. Even though though they're on a lap already, but they haven't made it to the line on their current lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you. That is. Look, it's all I want from my Formula One. It's all I want. I think we can all agree whether we like this idea or not, it is not as bad as that. (laughs) Good. I mean,. Yeah, yeah. There are some really bad ideas, and that's one of them. <laughs> well, in terms of the idea we have on the tables, Harry, what do you what do you think about it? Um, look, I, Ben, I know you're going to make the same point as well, and Sam's already uh, alluded to it. Mercedes, well, no team, no team should be able to veto. I, uh, I, if I, if I had it my way, and I was running F one, you'd just tell the people these are the rules. If you don't like it, then go home. This is F1, and this is a rule. <laughs> but, I mean, I understand it's not, it's not potentially viable. But even if teams had the vote, it shouldn't even have to be unanimous. If one says no, you should still have nine teams that say yes. That should be enough to still do it. So it's completely 
barking mad. Um, so that, yeah, that's just stupid. And this, I think it's a shame. And I agree, qualifying isn't broken. I, I like quality. There's nothing wrong with it. It's exciting. Builds up to the climax every time uh, at the end of Q3. And it's it's edge of the seat stuff normally. So, um, yeah, don't, don't agree that it needs to be fixed because it's not broken. But in these very strange, weird times we live in where the first race of 2020 hasn't happened yet and it's been over half a year since the last race um this was and where where we've got two races uh, at the same place this was the perfect opportunity to try it out this was the time um when we had back-to-back races at the same circuit and i i don't fault liberty for trying to bring this in because i think it was worth a punt um absolutely and i think i think it could have made exciting races at least, even if even if the the result ended up the same, and Hamilton still ended up on pole, it would how exciting would that be to see him start from the back and race all the way to the front and and take the win or pole position on the final lap of the of the sprint race? So, I think it could have made some some very interesting a very interesting uh, second GP of the of the week, but um, not to be, I'm afraid. But yeah, for God's sakes, change the veto rules because it's garbage. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more on the veto rule, and I'll, I'll get onto that in a bit. Um, firstly, the actual idea of reverse grid qualifying. I completely agree that 2020 is the time where experimentation is needed. You know, F1 needs to keep evolving. It needs to be dynamic. It needs to lead motorsport. And you know, it needs to change. I understand that. F1 is not like other sports where you can keep the rules relatively same for about, you know, 25, 30 years. You don't need to change much around. I understand that F1 evolves much quicker than that. Um, And yes, I think 2020 is the time to experiment. So I won't have a massive problem if they do decide to, if it does end up happening. Um, And for the record as well, a lot of people are against this because it's not in the DNA of Formula One which is the single worst argument in F1 history. Um, Oh, God, I hate it. It's so bad. Um, And, you know, I I don't agree with that whatsoever. Having said all of that, I am not a fan of this. Um, It's just that's not the reason why. Um, And a lot of people will be saying, you know, give it a chance. The racing could be amazing. Um, It could be. You know, there's a very good chance it will be. Uh, I, I... don't think I agree with the Mercedes coming from the back, going on to win, being exciting. I, I, I don't personally find Mercedes overtaking cars that are a hundred times worse than it all that exciting. I'm not saying it's completely dull, um, but I'm on the fence on whether it would create amazing racing or not. But to be honest, that's superfluous. That, that doesn't matter because it could produce the most amazing racing we've ever seen. And I will still be against this. Because I cannot get behind the principle. Uh, And it doesn't matter if the race is really exciting, because it still goes against that principle. And that is, you can't reward poor performance. I just don't think it should happen. And, you know, if, if you perform not very well at a race and you get an advantage in a qualifying race, I can't get behind that idea. Um, And there is such an advantage for the top few teams, like such an advantage right now. Um, And, you know, hopefully that will be sorted out at least somewhat by this cost cap. Um, But this and I think Lewis Hamilton has said something similar on this, actually, 
this is just dancing around the issue. This is dancing around the issue in F1, uh, and that is the disparity between the top teams and the worst teams. It's like it's it comes from the DRS school of thinking um, of essentially it being a bandage. It, it, it's just well, we have a problem. We're not actually going to solve it, uh, but we'll work with the problem to make it slightly less of a problem. I don't think that's the way that it should be attacked. I I, I understand the cost cap is a few years away, so I don't mind if this sort of qualifying or other qualifying formats are trialed over the next well in twenty twenty. Uh, but once that cost cap comes in and the new regulations come in, I don't see any reason for this. It, it should just be 10 teams going at it, trying to get as many points as possible. Um, and, you know, if you sink, you sink. And if you swim, you swim. That's how it should be. Um, yeah, that, that's my views on it. Um, in terms of the in terms of the veto, I couldn't agree more as well. I, I think the majority rule should definitely be more preferable to the one team doesn't like it it doesn't happen rule um and it has a real there's a real possibility this spirals out of control for formula one um at the moment the formula one teams have way too much power in that there's only 10 of them to start off with so they know that if one of those teams leaves the grid they're starting to get to a number where you know, you don't want 18 drivers on the grid. You don't want 16 drivers on the grid. So they know they have power in that respect. And they know that the barriers of entry are pretty difficult to contend with. It's a lot of money to get into Formula One due to how the prize money works at the moment. You don't see a lot of return on investment early in terms of entering F1. So they know these F1 teams, they've got a fair amount of power. And what a surprise, they end up using it like Mercedes are doing here. It's a vicious circle. These, if you give the power of rulemaking to these teams, they will make the rules to benefit themselves and not the sport. And if you don't make rules that benefit the sport, teams aren't going to want to enter, giving more power to the teams that are already there, meaning they get even more rulemaking responsibility. And it just goes round and round and round, and it's not going to benefit them in the long term. So I'm completely against the veto. In terms of reverse grid, if it happens, so be it, uh, but I'm not for it. I have one word. Go on. Oh, no. Oh, that's the worst time thing I've ever done. My computer locked. Anyway, let's try that again. I have one word. Disgusting! There you go. The joke, that joke landed so well. Seems the worst executed joke I've ever heard. Well, you can get in the bin, Sam. If only we had a button sound effect. Thank you. Oh, would you look at that? You are welcome. Here's one we prepared earlier. So moving on to our next topic this evening. Um, of course, it, it's been confirmed. I can't believe it's taken us 23 minutes to actually say this, but it's been confirmed that Formula One is back. I forget that the last podcast we did, um, we, we didn't have the news for it. Um, so the first eight rounds of the championship are set in stone. Two rounds in Austria, two rounds in Britain, um, and four rounds elsewhere in Europe. Um And as part of that, the Chase Carey has decided to come out and say that if one of the drivers contracts COVID-19, they would still continue on with a race weekend, which was a quote that kind of stood out to me. Uh, Sam, do you think this is a wise approach or do you think he needs to revise what he's saying here? It's an odd argument, isn't it? Because 
we didn't go ahead with Formula One due to the risk of people contracting COVID-19. Now, just because that risk is less, why does that suddenly mean we're all okay to carry on with, with the events? If there's still a risk of anyone catching a proven lethal virus, regardless of who it is or where they could spread it to, why are we letting this happen? I mean, I was a bit up in arms because if, if, a, if a driver catches it, then they've caught it anyway. So why cancel the Grand Prix if one driver's going to go? But at the same time, you've got to think, well, you're putting them in that position where they could be in a country that has a high infection rate, which means they could bump it to someone else, which they could spread it again. So if there's ever a, a debate, I think in my mind, between risk of life, me seeing Formula One, I mean, it's been six months since I've seen a Formula One race. That's really, really difficult to deal with. But I don't want anyone to die. So stop the event. Don't put people at risk. If you think there's even a 1% chance that a single person, driver or not, catches COVID-19 because of Formula One, you don't do it. It's as simple as that. That's where I stand on it. It's not a hard argument. You don't put people at risk for the sake of some entertainment. Fair enough. Harry, do you agree with what Sam said? It's a very, very Bernie thing of good old Chase to say. Maybe, maybe all leaders of F1 eventually become mad and senile. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was Bernie with a mustache. That's maybe. all we're saying here. <laughs> it's confirmed. Is that what you just said, Ben? I said unconfirmed. Uh, oh, unconfirmed. <laughs> anyone suing us? It's but... confirmed. It is Bernie with a mustache. Yeah, not a minute. It may, it may not be Bernie with a mustache. Um, it's about four foot shorter. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure Chase has chosen his words very wisely here. And I'm obviously on the. Uh, I agree with Sam completely. I don't want to watch anyone get sick or even worse, die from it. Um, I. I I didn't read the full interview or article, or whatever it was. I just saw the quote, but I, I'm guessing that his his viewers are back in Australia. Everyone was still walking about like it was like it was 2019. Everything was normal. Um, whereas now, you know, there'll be no motorhomes at the circuit. Teams will be very secluded uh, from one another. They won't be mixing together. There'll be social distancing in place, protective equipment, etc. Um, so I, I guess that was the, his thought process there, that if one gets sick, it's not likely or less likely to spread throughout the paddock like wildfire. Um, but yeah, at the same time, that was, a, that was a dumb thing to say. Like, we've just, just had the good news that F1 is coming back. Don't go say things like that. That's just stupid, stupid thing to say. So, um, yeah, and, you know, if it really did get bad, they'd still have to cancel. I don't care what they'd say. So, um yeah, I don't. I didn't see the why you needed to say that one. You silly, silly Bernie imposter. <laughs> um, I think we saw as well um, with Melbourne, and we can't forget. I mean, Melbourne was an embarrassment, really. I, I know the knowledge of, of COVID nineteen was less back then. Um, the, the fact that it nearly happened, it, it was an embarrassment for the sport, and you would hope that Chase Carey and people around him have learned. Um, and they wouldn't allow a similar situation to happen, which, uh, to be honest, is why I was so surprised that this comment um, is that F1 was one of the closest sports to to really being dangerous in, in that respect. Um, and I think the point is as well that if one driver or, or just one person in the paddock, um, you know, did contract the virus, then 
who's to say that the same thing won't happen as as happened in Melbourne that the teams would band together? I mean, McLaren as soon as uh, you know that they as soon as possible said, you know, we're not competing this weekend. Doesn't matter who else is. Um, theoretically, I, I think the teams, even though they are at each other's throats ninety percent of the time, I think in these sorts of situations, as we have seen with Project Pit Lane, I, th- I think they would come together. And I think they would try to reach a, a reasonable conclusion um, and ensure that everyone's health um, is the utmost priority and not um, not plain entertainment, which uh, as much as we'd all love to see Formula One, and, and trust me, we are all so excited for Formula One to return, we would absolutely not want that at the expense of anyone's health, Not no chance whatsoever. So, um, yeah, probably more than anything, it was a poor choice of words. Um, but yeah, I, I just hope we don't get another situation like Melbourne. Two, uh, two events like that in one year, that, that's not a good look. No, we don't want that. Thank you very much, Tiny Chase Kerry. Tiny <laughs> Chase Kerry. Hashtag Can't wait to start this rumour. <laughs> but Bernie Kerry. <laughs> Do you have evidence that Chase Kerry and Bernie Ecclestone are in fact the same person? Have you ever seen them next to each Have you ever seen them next to each other? That's what I'm saying. I think it's like Dr. Evil and Mini-Me. He's literally got a a tiny version of himself sat next to him. So all this time he's just been operating Chase Care. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. He's a genius, that man. Ah, genius. Yeah, I thought it was too good to be true when Bernie stepped away. Never. He never did. He never did. Well, I mean, it doesn't get much more serious than this really real debate that we're having right now. But um, we'll move on to our final topic of today, which is fill in the blank. Um, I don't think we've actually got a theme song for this, have we? I can I can put something on. It may be a repeat, but... Okay. Oh, I, this, this bloody bit of music, lads. <laughs> it's a new game, everyone. That makes a new theme tune. F1. Feeling the... Yeah. F1. Feeling gap. Get it? See what I'm doing? I'm leaving a gap with each time I sing it through. Or you're leaving it blank. Yeah. It's filling the blank. Yeah. This is F1 filling the... Um, So we've got... (laughs) (laughs) We are morons. I'm sorry, listeners. Stupid. If you've made it to this point in the podcast, thank you. You deserve a medal. Congrats. I don't think anyone has? Like, fair play. Fair I play if you have. Um, anyway, we're going to be looking at a few statements where one word is blanked out, and we're going to be essentially putting our opinions as to what word goes in there. Um, expect Ricardo Rossett to appear at some point. Um, Harry, I'll start with you on this one. The best non-champ of the 21st century is blank. It's Ricardo Rossett. Obviously, Ricardo Rossett. Did he even compete in this century? No, no, he didn't. He's not, yeah, but of the 20, but he's not dead. He Correct. still counts, doesn't he? He absolutely still counts. Um, <laughs> he's around in the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, he's technically alive. He's lived, oh, he that's lived right, the 20th. Okay. In that case, it's actually Sterling Moss then. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But he's not as good there. as uh, he's not as good as um, Ricardo Rossett. 
Uh, Can you give a serious answer? That is my serious. (laughs) Sorry, again, folks listening. Um, Okay. Best non-championship win. I've not really decided mine yet. I was too focused on Ricardo Rossett. Go to to Sam and come back. God. Okay, I'll get back to you. All right. Sam, have you actually got a name? I've actually taken some time to think about this. Uh, I know, it doesn't happen often, but I have. Harry's been so silly recently that I thought I might try and be a little more serious. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> so it was between two people for me. Uh, it was between current race driver and youngster Max Verstappen. Uh, he's had a brilliant start to his career. He did well to get out of that junior area. and He's dominated Red Bull realistically since he's got there. But those mistakes that he had for a couple of seasons have really cost him. And I don't think he's had the chance at a top shot yet to, to show that he could really be a world champ. So I think he will be eventually. Who knows when, where if he ever gets the car, that's a debate for another day. But I have gone for none other than Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, <laughs> he, he was Mr. Chunky, but Mr. Exciting, right? He, there were so many comments about him not being fit enough to be a Formula 1 driver, which is you hilarious. You call him Mr. <laughs> Chunky. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a well documented game of the press, thank you. Um, he's got <laughs> one Pablo got, Mr. Chunky. Yeah, that's his name. He's got seven race wings to his name, you know, in 95 starts, 95 races rather, uh, 13 poles, 12 fastest laps, 307 career points. He had that season in, I think it was 2005, in McLaren, where the car was a bit of a dog the entire season for him. He basically drags that team to get the car in the right place. And when he did get that car in the right place, I think he won three races, got another two podiums and got like three pole positions or something like that. The guy where he has the right car can really drive. Um, he just came up against some incredible drivers. Yeah, he was great. He was never the greatest. And I, you know, that's the whole point of this question. Juan Pablo was always one of those names that stuck around in my mind from being a kid watching Formula One. He was always exciting to watch. He won in his first season with uh, BMW Williams. The guy's great. So, yeah, for me, he was really up there with one of those great drivers that never really made that final step in the 23rd century. Yeah, I think I you are going to say DC. That was my actual other choice. I've, I've kept quiet there. Good old, good old DC. This is actually a really difficult one because um, I don't think there's one name that really sticks out as someone who absolutely should have won one and didn't or hasn't won one and has and yeah. Um, apart from Yano Trulli, obviously. Sorry, Yano. Completely forgot that you existed for a moment. He is <laughs> the greatest. Um, I think Montoya is a good shout, actually. Um, and interesting that the Verstappen is there. I know he's only had a few years, um, but I think it's I think it's warranted that he's there as well. Um, Coulthard didn't do. I think Coulthard was slightly better. Oh, maybe maybe DC. I. This is actually a really difficult one. I I'm think I'm going to agree with you, Sam. I'm going to go with Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, I don't, I don't think Juan Pablo Montoya was always brilliant. I think he he lacked consistency somewhat. Um, you know, Raikkonen did a bit of a job on him at McLaren. Um, Ralph Schumacher wasn't too far off at Williams, but on his day, Montoya was brilliant, um, and he could really compete with Michael Schumacher. Uh, not many could. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Sam. I'm going to pluck the Mr. Chunky JPM. <laughs> Harry, have you come up with an answer? Yeah, and it's not Mr. Chunky. <laughs> oh, that's a real I'm afraid, shame. I'm afraid to say. Um, 
No, I've got a few on my list. Uh, D- uh, DC's on there. I also would put R- Rubino. Um, oh, would you? Well, if you put Mr. Chunky, so. Um, <laughs> oh, Mr. Crybaby. Um, I'd also put Felipe in the mix. Uh, and I've got a couple oh. here that are, are people that could have done more had it not been for accidents. So the first one is Felipe. Brutally unlucky not to win in 08. Um, and he was that first half of 2009, he was still in pretty good form. And I don't think he was ever the same driver again after his accident. Um, but my other one is, is Bobby Kay. Pre accident, Bobby Kay was, was a man that Hamilton Alonso all feared. And he could have, I think he could have gone on and won that 08 title if BMW didn't stop developing the car. And if tr- events transpired, he could definitely been a, have a couple of world championships in his back pocket for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna and the stats do not support that um, in the way that you know Montoya's do or DCs or whoever um, because you know Kibitzer only got one win, but that's uh, what could have been. And I definitely think he deserved a few titles. Good old Bobby K. That is so, actually a really good shout, Harry. I feel that silliness. That's a very good argument. Thank you. So, I mean, if, if Robert Kubitz is in the argument, surely the person that beat him yes. in three of their four seasons together, Nick Hyde. There we go. Quick <laughs> Nick. Quick Nick. Got to love Quick Nick. Oh, I love Quick Nick. Man who sits under a tree. The man, he's, he's bare consistent as well as Quick Nick. He was Very so great. good. For, so I reckon, for me, Quick Nick is probably actually second to one Pablo, Mr. Chunky. Mr. Man who sits under a tree <laughs> and Mr. Chunky are by far the best two drivers from the 21st century that ever won a title. Yeah, interesting debate there and an interesting nickname that came out of that. Uh, I feel like Mr. Chunky might stick around for a while. Good <laughs> <Yeah>, Lord. <laughs> right, next one. Um, and out of fear that Harry doesn't know what's coming, I'm going to go to you, Sam, first. Um, the best so, circuit people don't speak about is blank. So I have got an answer for off the current calendar and an answer for on the current calendar. I'll give more info for the one that's on the calendar. My off the uh, current calendar is, um, I think it's only a locally spoken about track now, is, is Brands Hatch, really. I think people don't associate it with Formula One. People don't. Give it the credit that it's a brilliant racetrack. Paddock Hill is an incredible corner. It has got some great overtaking areas, really tough corners to deal with. I, you know, I generally think it's a really great track and it does so well for so many other classifications of racing. But for the track that's on the calendar that I don't think gets spoken about as much as it deserves to, or people often glaze over a little bit when thinking of good circuits that always deliver. Bahrain. I genuinely think Bahrain is one of the most interesting and eventful circuits we've had added to the calendar in quite some time, you know. Even as recent as having Vettel spin out, Leclerc possibly go for the wing till his engine went, Hamilton taking it, the jewel in the desert, you know, the time when Hamilton overtook three cars at once down the back straight. There have been some really, really exciting races uh, at Bahrain. And people, when they're listing off those events that season in, season out, they create a good Grand Prix. Bahrain's never on that list. It's always just dismissed as one of those, yeah, it's on the calendar. It's all right. I generally think Bahrain produces a very solid race Season is season out, and it doesn't get spoken about as much as it should do. So, yeah, for me, Bahrain is that track. Fair enough. Harry, what have you got for this one? What about Cadwell Park? Oh, I have a day off. <laughs> Cadwell Park no. on Project Cars 2 can get in the bin. What about Snetterton? 
Johnny Herbert's favourite circuit tells you everything you need to <laughs> Well, then, do I need to say any <clears throat> any more if it's Johnny Herbert's favourite circuit? No, I don't. Well, exactly. Um, I Paddock, uh, Paddock Hill, um, Brands Hatch is a is a great shout because it's a great circuit. Um, underrated circuit. Oh, is it underrated or just people forget about it? I guess it's the same thing, isn't it? Um, Bahrain is a is a cracking one from Sam. Um, Monaco. I know Ben's going to scream, but I, I think Monaco gets doesn't get enough stick. Uh, does it, no. Thank you, Barry, for agreeing with my viewpoint. <laughs> Let me try that again. Uh, doesn't get enough praise, I should say, and I know it doesn't always throw up the most exciting race in the world, but it's still a fantastic track to watch an F1 car go around. Um, Canada, I think, is my my main choice though, because people, I don't feel when people talk about great circuits, people don't don't say Canada, but Canada is a great circuit and it's it's tricky, it's like a street circuit, a lot, I know there's a lot of chicanes, but it always throws up an interesting race um, and I, yeah, I don't know, it just never seems to make it on the list of great tracks when people start naming, you know, the likes of Spa, the Nürburgring Le Mans, Canada doesn't, doesn't make it on there when it damn well should because it always entertains so, bloody so brilliant track the Gilles, Gilles Villeneuve, you mm. get a thumbs up from me. Yeah, great shout. I think it gets spoken about a bit more than Bahrain, but I do think it is a oh, brilliant yes. shout. True. Yeah, I see your point, though. I, I think people would immediately go to Silverstone, Spa, Suzuka, Monza, Monza they would yeah. say Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve. So I, I completely agree with you on that, actually. Um, and I agree with Bahrain, too. Um, I don't like all this agreeing. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Best circuit people don't speak about. I've got two answers as well, one on and one off the F1 calendar. Off the F1 calendar, and I don't think this, well, the actual venue gets spoken about a lot, but this circuit doesn't necessarily. I love the Indy GP race. I love the Indy circuit. It's, I think it's a really fun one. Um, the Indy car race that happened last year was really entertaining there. Um, and obviously it's had some modifications since F1 race there, but I would love to see F1 back there if, if they ever wanted to. Um, yeah, I just I, I really love that circuit. In terms of on the F1 calendar, um, as I said before, both of your suggestions are, are definitely valid. I'm going to say the Shanghai International Circuit. Um, What's yeah. my other my other guess? That was my other name that I was going to go for if someone already said Bahrain. I think that's a great shout. And... It's somewhat um, influenced by race 1000 being hyped up to be, you know, obviously the 1000 Formula One race. And it turned out to be a uh, a bit of a snooze fest. But by and large, the Chinese Grand Prix year on year is an entertaining one. There are so many underrated Chinese Grand Prix in history. Um, I think it's it's a brilliant race. So I'm I'm going to place for that. This is a case in point because yesterday evening I sat down and watched the 2013 Chinese GP and I can't remember anything about it. Absolute belter. I had a great time. I didn't even remember anything that happened in it. And I was like, this is this is great. So, yeah. Falls into the same vein as Malaysia, I often think, which people kind of go, well, that's some good races, but what actually happened? And then you watch me, you're like, this is mental. Why is Malaysia not on the calendar anymore? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I decided to go for that one. Obviously, Paul Ricard came close. Um, go away. Go away. You were speaking so much sense. Big Paul Richard. <laughs> Paulie Dick. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right, last one on this then. Fill in the blank, Sam. Blank is going to be the next new champion. Right, so I'm going to begin this one with a bit of a, pref- a pre- prefix, prefix, preface. Preface. No, I think. Be- thank you. A thing before what I'm going to say. This <laughs> depends on if Mercedes stay relevant and interested in Formula One. So, in the new um, regime of rules and whatnot, they are still as invested in Formula One as they are now. That's all this is depending on. I think George Russell. I think he'll get the move to Mercedes very soon. I think Hamilton once he hits seven may get to that point where he's like, right, good, yeah, I'm done. I'm I'm ready to move on to something else. And Russell will pretty much be the leader of that team. And I think that he's got bags of talent. So I think that he realistically could do a fantastic job there and be the champ. If Mercedes decide to leave the sport sooner than we think, then I think um, with Red Bull development, and of course the man that's led them for quite a long time now, Max Verstappen has got that raw talent and ability. And I think he's at that point in his career now where he's not making loads of mistakes that in a car as good as a Red Bull car can be, the staff for me is the next the, the next big shout if Mercedes do take that step back. I mean, not saying you're wrong and I mean who can we who can say whether you're right or wrong at this point, but it, it's a bold prediction to say that someone who is not in a race winning seat at the moment, um sorry Williams, uh, is going to be the next new <laughs> champion when you've got Leclerc and Verstappen, obviously, like you've referenced with Verstappen, in sort of their positions already. Um, I, yeah, not not saying it's wrong. It's just, it will, it's a bold one, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's partially what I'm here for, isn't it? Bold predictions. But at the same time, that tells you, one, how much I rate George Russell, sure, yeah. and two, how much I rate Mercedes. And again, that's why I started that with, if Mercedes are no longer as interested in Formula 1 as they are now, I don't think it will happen. He has to have the same quality of car that matches the Ferrari and the Red Bull. If it does, I think Russell, with his consistency and speed, comes out on top. All right. Uh, Harry, who have you got? I am not going to be as bold as Sam, but I'm going to go for his second shout, which was Maxi Verstappen, because uh, as much as I do believe in Mercedes and George Russell, even if George gets the call up, and I think he's immensely talented and he he could be a future world champion, but I don't think he'd be able to do it straight away. Um, I I trust Red Bull's ability, Red Bull and Honda's ability to build a good car and make good calls more than I trust Ferraris at the moment. As much as I love Leclerc, um, I just think Verstappen. It's like almost written in the stars that that boy is going to have to win a championship sooner rather than later. Um, and like Sam said, his consistency is 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 there now, which was the one thing he was lacking. Um, so yeah, for me, I. Uh, I would be really surprised if it's not Verstappen who's the next one to take a championship. If that's away from Hamilton or not, I couldn't say, but who knows. Yeah. Um, So, first of all, with the Mercedes discussion, um, I I think Bottas is at least worth a mention here. Um, And I think it would, for me at least, if Hamilton were to walk away from the sport and it was a Bottas plus George Russell lineup. I would I would back Bottas um, at the moment. 
However, um, I'm going to go with Max Verstappen as well. And I, I can't remember when I first made this prediction. It was a few years back, so I'm kind of bound by it and I'm forced to stick by it. I still think that Red Bull, when the cost cap comes in, I know the cost cap and regulations are happening in different years now, so it might happen a year later. But I think that when everything is settled down in 2022, Red Bull will be the leading car, regardless of whether Mercedes are in the sport or not. I'm not saying it's going to be a comfortable lead, but I think they will be the best team at that point. In which case, I think Max Verstappen, who is, as we know, a brilliant driver, I think he claims it. So, yeah, I'm going to go Max. Well, that was actually a realistically good debate. It'd be really interesting to know what everyone thinks who isn't one of us three morons. Um, let us know wrong at L Breaking at Twitter. And you've got to use the hashtag Mr. Chunky. I want to see it fill the uh, the trending bar. That's the rule. Yeah. Um, as ever, I can't think of a better way to end the show on than Mr. Chunky. So, Sam, you can get us out of here. Well, folks, if you have enjoyed the Mr. Chunky podcast, then make sure you subscribe, make sure you download it, share it, let everyone know that we are representatives for the Mr. Chunky team. And uh, we cannot wait to be back once again next week discussing more Formula 1. We're getting closer to racing, folks, in Bring the meantime. I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Eddie Cheever. <laughs> and remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network.